You're listening to the sermon series on the letter to the Philippians at Sojourn Church Midtown. In this letter, the Apostle Paul calls believers to live on the earth now as citizens of heaven. This means that Christians should find their identity not in this world, but in the world to come centered on Jesus Christ. Today's scripture reading is Philippians 3, verse 1 through 14. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision. The ones who worship by the Spirit of God boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of Him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death assuming that I will somehow reach this resurrection from among the dead. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I I also have been taken hold of by Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, peace be with you. I said, peace be with you. All right, all right. Well, welcome back uh, to uh, those who are here and uh, a part of, of Sojourn. We are so thankful to be able to see your face. And for those who are visiting for the first time, uh, we say welcome. My name is Jamal. I am uh, uh, the lead pastor here and one of the pastors, and we're thrilled uh, that you would join us to get today. And I know things are a little different with wearing a mask and the auditorium um, is a lot less filled than normal, but uh, we just praise God that we are able to come together. We long for the day where we're able to see each other face to face and where the auditorium is packed again. Until then, we will just continue to practice uh, social distancing. We will trust the Lord and continue to do hard things because we know that Christ can empower us to do so. I also want to pause. Uh, last week, we talk, talked about a, uh, a Pathodias, who was this uh, uh, preacher who was sent to uh, Rome to help Paul in his time of need and how he risked his life. And at the first service, um, I asked all of our sent ones, missionaries who was back home for the summer that we sent out as a church to please stand for us to simply acknowledge them and to pray for them. And I want to do the same here. I believe I saw uh, Pete and Kristen 
Uh, you guys don't have to stand. You got the babies with you. But we just want to acknowledge your presence. And if there's anyone else that we sent out who's serving overseas, who's here this morning, we want to acknowledge you as well. So just wave your hand or stand um, just so we can, we can see you all. Uh, we know and just can imagine how incredibly difficult it is for you all to come back during a time like this and how this was probably a time that you anticipated uh, rest and hugs and spending a lot of time with uh, community group uh, members and people like that. And we're sorry that uh, this has been interrupted in this way, but we love you all. We know that Jesus is with you and we're so glad that you're here. Well, let's pray. And then we're going to dive into a text that I'm really excited about that hit me deeply this week. It's one of those weeks where I wish I had 45, 50 minutes to preach it because it's so much here. But there's going to be a lot left on the table or on the cutting room floor today. But I believe God has a word for you. So let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you so much for uh, your goodness and your kindness towards us. You are amazing. You are good. You are faithful. I'm thinking about Isaiah 53 and 4 in a chapter in which you give us a picture of the coming Messiah and how he would die for his people transgressions. But in verse 4, you say that he has borne our griefs and carried our, our pain. Not only is he one who dies in our place, but he incarnates himself, becoming human And he identifies with all of our sufferings. When we grieve, he weeps with us. When we're in pain, he enters into that pain with us as one who experienced pain himself. Holy Spirit, I ask that your uh, presence would be manifested here through peace and power, through clarity And that you would do exceedingly above and beyond what we could ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we know that the Apostle Paul is writing this letter. and We've said it and we'll say it each week while he is in prison in Rome, waiting uh, more than likely for his death. And even though that's the case, Paul has a fullness to him. He has a joy despite his current circumstance. And I believe that chapter three gives us the secret to his joy. I believe chapter three gives us the secret to his contentment. Chapter three is going to show us why the apostle Paul was able to be full even though he was chained to Roman guards. Chapter three is messy. When we understand it correctly, it's difficult for us as we read it and apply it to our own lives, but it is beautiful and it has the power to set you free. As Paul said to the Galatians, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. This chapter today has the power to set each and every one of us free again as we think about these truths. But in order to set this up today, I want to apply it to my life. As I was reading this text and going through it, I wanted to not be up here in the theoretical, but on the ground in the practical. And I want to share a story with you that may make you uncomfortable as some of you listen to me as your pastor. I want to take you back to February before COVID-19 to Super Bowl Sunday. It's the beginning of February. I was really excited about Super Bowl Sunday. 
Uh, the Chiefs were pay- playing the 49ers. Hadn't watched football really all year, but it was the Super Bowl, right? And part of the excitement of it wasn't just football, but it was that I was going to have a day with my family. Our community group had a wonderful menu laid out, so food, <laughs> um, and, and the fellowship. I just was looking forward to this excitement and to this party. It had been a long week, a week in which I tried to cross every T and dot every I, and to which I was thinking to myself, I get to eat whatever I want and have as much fun as I want because I I deserved it by working hard for my family and by working hard for the Lord. And so we go to our friend's house. We're having an incredible time at the Super Bowl. The game uh, is going well, but it's not what I expected. I heard so much about Patrick Mahomes. This was my first time getting to see him play quarterback uh, with the Chiefs, and he's struggling. I mean, three quarters in, they're down 21 to 10, and it doesn't look like they're going to come back. And then uh, something happens that uh, doesn't normally happen. Uh, One of our little ones had an accident on himself, and then he had another accident on himself uh, about uh, 20 minutes uh, between the two. Never happens. And it was interesting because the first one, we're like, okay, we're going to make shift with his outfit, and we kind of created a kilt for him. Uh, But the second one, we had nothing else to really cover him up with. So we had to make the difficult decision to leave the game early and to go home. It was seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. We're about six minutes away from the house. I'm like, I'm going to floor it. We're going to get home. We'll catch the end. And if they come back, we may be able to see the end of the comeback. But we hop in the car about 10 minutes later after getting everyone together. We start driving. And y'all, we turn on the radio. And the announcer says, what an incredible five minutes. The Chiefs have come back. It's 31 to 10, to to 21. Now, I'll have to tell y'all what that did to me. I became so angry (laughs) because I missed the comeback. In just that matter of time, I watched the whole game. And in a few minutes, three touchdowns are scored. And the rest of the night was an embarrassment to me. I pulled up to the house quickly. We rallied the kids out. We kind of are carrying uh, one, carrying the others. My sweet kids are are being kids. Uh, As we crossed the street, kind of taking their time, talking about other things. And I did something I normally don't do. I raised my voice and I yelled at them because I was upset. After the hard week I had, all I wanted was a great night of entertainment. And in my mind, I deserve that. Now, I'm not the yeller. I'm the person who gives the deaf stare. You know, you may not know that. And that's sinful, too. Both are sinful. My deaf stare is probably worse than a yell. But I yelled at my kids. I went home so disappointed. I didn't even turn on the rest of the game. The next day, I refused to this day to watch the highlights of what had happened. And I threw a pity patty party. You hear me? My kids were asleep. My wife was asleep. I'm up just angry. And the conversation I'm having with God is shameful. Lord, all I wanted to do was watch the game and have fun tonight. And I missed the most exciting part. Lord, I worked so hard. Could you not give me this one thing? 
Why didn't we have an extra change of clothes, by the way? And I started blaming everyone else. And as I tried to go to sleep and couldn't, the spirit started convicting me and I could not wait to the morning as the Lord did surgery on my heart and he showed me my entitlement, my selfishness and my sin. And I woke up that morning and asked him to forgive me and I talked to my kids and asked them to forgive me for being so selfish and so angry. And it was something that honestly it took me multiple days to really get out of my system as I was filled with guilt and shame. Why do I share that long story to start the sermon? Because at the end of the day, at that moment, what I was doing was finding my identity and what my friend of mine is called self-generated righteousness. What most of us as Christians have come to call works righteousness. In my mind, working hard for the Lord, working hard for my family meant that I deserved a a great afternoon of entertainment where everything goes my way. I was believing a false gospel. And Paul is writing to church at uh, Philippi, and he's saying in verse 1, my brothers and my sisters rejoice in the Lord. Cultivate joy in your heart. And the way you do this is by hearing this message again that will safeguard you. And what is the message he's about to give them? The gospel of Jesus Christ. The way in which you cultivate joy, the way in which you rejoice in hard seasons and hard times is by remembering that the fullness of life does not come from self-generated righteousness, but the fullness of life comes from received righteousness, from Christ's righteousness, from remembering what he has done for you. So we want to look at two things really quick in this text. We want to look at Paul's warning to the church of Philippians and to us, which is do not put confidence in our flesh. And second, we want to look at Paul's invitation to put our confidence in Jesus Christ in order to experience his fullness. The more you put your confidence in Jesus and not in yourself and what you think that you deserve because of what you have done, the more the spirit cultivates life in you and a correct perspective for life. Pick up in verse two, Paul says, watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Continue to look out for these things. Now, who let the dogs out, Paul? Who are the dogs? That's tough language. It probably reminds us of Jesus and when he called a Gentile woman a dog when she asked for his blessing. And this may sound like a really harsh rebuke, and in some ways it is, but it's less anthropological and more theological. For Jesus to speak to that uh, uh, Gentile woman that way, what he was essentially doing is saying, listen, you are outside of the covenant people of God. Because for the Jewish people, dogs weren't uh, spoken of as cute, cuddly home pets, but they were scavengers who kind of just were pests. And Jesus to that Gentile woman was essentially using the vernacular of a term in order to make a point. And here Paul is saying, those who are dogs are not uh, Gentiles. Those who are dogs are those who are adding to salvation, who are saying that in order to be saved is Jesus plus. 
And these are people who have been pestering him throughout his ministry, following him where he is going, trying to undercut this gospel message that says salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. So he says, watch out, watch out, watch out. Why? Because this message of circumcision plus Jesus or circumcision in general is what makes you right with God can send you to hell. Verse three, for we are the circumcision. Who is we? It's those who have placed their faith in Christ alone, by faith alone, uh, 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 by grace alone, through faith alone. And there's three marks of those who are the true circumcision, those who have had their hearts circumcised from the flesh. Mark one, the ones who worship by the spirit of God. Jesus says in John chapter four, those who worship me was worship me by spirit and in truth. It's those who have been enabled to worship God because of the work that the Holy Spirit has done in their heart. Number two, it's those who boast in Jesus. Number three, it's those who do not put confidence in the flesh, who do not build their salvation based upon their self-generated righteousness, their ability, their secondary and and tritiary uh, identity. And then in verse four, Paul is going to show how this looked in his life before he met Jesus. And he's going to do some boasting of his own and say, essentially, if anybody has the right to boast, y'all, it's me. I was dope. I was killing them. My identity was rich. Verse four, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has the grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day. In other words, I was righteous by ritual of the nation of Israel. I was righteous by ethnicity. I was a part of the chosen people of God of the tribe of Benjamin. I was righteous by rank. As the tribe of Benjamin was the kind of first class tribe. It's where King Saul uh, was born in. And it's the only tribe that never rebelled against the line of David. He says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was pure Jewish blood. I was, it was not intermarried. And the Bible is not against intermarrying. For Jews, uh, God was not necessarily, God was not against the intermarrying. What he was against was being unequally yoked. Say so they could intermarry as long as that person was uh, willing to be circumcised and to uh, submit their lives to Yahweh in the Jewish way of living by faith. Regarding the law, I was a Pharisee. He had, I said, I had a PhD in law, I was a distinguished clergy. I was one of the heroes of the day, verse six, regarding zeal, persecuting the church. Now, why would he put that? He put that because as one who was a Pharisee and a faithful Jew, what made them right with God in his eyes was being zealous for the Torah and zealous for the, towards the future Messiah and the nation of Israel. They looked at people like Phineas as a hero. Phineas killed a man who was committing idolatry and through killing him, that was a positive example as he saved the people of God from following uh, that idolatrous pattern, he was declared right. 
They looked at Elijah and how Elijah slaughtered uh, the, the prophets of Baal after God rained down fire from heaven in 1 Kings 19. And Paul's mind to be right with God was to be zealous for the law and to persecute anyone who was outside of that interpretation of Scripture. So in essence, Paul is saying, y'all, I was blameless, not sinless, but I did everything the law required. I did the sacrifices, the rituals, and I was good. And so, Jern, God is calling us today to watch out, to not put our confidence in rituals, to not conclude that I am a Christian because I go to church regularly or somehow I am more loved by God when I read my Bible multiple days in a row. God is calling us to be careful to make sure that we don't find our identity in our nationality or our ethnicity. Nationality and ethnicity is something to celebrate. There's beautiful parts of it all as well as there's brokenness in it all. But when we allow ourselves to find our identity in the fact that we belong as citizens maybe to the United States of America and we think that this is a Christian nation and as a result, we're better than other people, Paul says, watch out. Watch out when we think that because we're part of a, a certain class, we're, we're more special to God or we have more favor with God. Watch out when we think that our accomplishments at work, our, our status regarding marriage, our status as a parent or the way we parent, our ability as a business owner, our experiences of maybe traveling the world. He says, watch out when you find your identity in any thing or anyone but Jesus. And how do you know when you're doing this? Well, there's some tests that we can, we can look to. What, what comes to mind when someone is boasting about an accomplishment in your presence? What's the thing that pops to mind that you say, I need to turn this conversation from them to let them know who they're talking to? What's the thing when this certain part of the conversation shifts uh, that you can't wait to tell people about, even in a humble way, so it becomes a humble brag? What's the thing when you miss the mark on, it feels like for that moment, your world has collapsed? What's the script that you tell yourself will make you more lovable or more right? What's the thing you raise your voice at or go uh, crazy with Twitter fingers when someone misspeaks or has a different perspective. When you start asking those questions, when you look into your heart and you start seeing that thing that angers you like I was angry that night and you pull on that string long enough and you do the hard work of thinking you can see at that moment what you're truly worshiping or holding on to. That night, for me, it was comfort and rest. And I and my sinful mind in that sinful moment believed I deserved. I lost sight of Jesus and the fact that he has already done more for me than I ever deserve. That I was on my way to hell, lost without him. Hopeless. Seeking life and the affirmation of other people. And the comfort of things that intoxicate. In the pleasures of the flesh, and he came and he found me and he told me 
that he loved me and there was nothing that I could bring to the table to save myself or make me more acceptable to him that my salvation was by grace alone through faith alone in him. And Paul is chained in prison to this Roman guard and and he has learned to be content and to still have fullness and joy. And we're going to see in this text because he looks at all these things he just listed. He said, one day I was on the road of Damascus. I was persecuting Christ's church. I thought I was right and he shined his light. He knocked me off my mule. He says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he didn't yell at me. It was a voice of grace. It was a sight of beauty. And he gave me a new heart. And because I have this new heart, I now get to experience his resurrected power. And I have the promise that one day I will be saved from the power of sin as well as the presence of sin. And I'm forgiven for my sin. This is a message of hope. Paul says, put your confidence in Jesus Christ and experience his fullness. Put your confidence in what he has done. See, any accomplishments that you can, not in the realm of what is gained, but like him in the realm of what is lost when it's compared to Jesus. Verse 7, but everything that was a gain to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. All these things I just list, these were where my identity was. Here's where I found life. Here's where I found joy. Here's where I found peace. But he's like, hey, if I tell you the truth, I was exhausted because I always had to work. I always had to do. I never could be off. And suddenly when I saw Jesus and his message of grace, all this went into the lost category. In fact, he says here, he now considers it as dawn. Give my kids something to laugh about a little later as poo-poo. That's poo-poo. It's in the Bible. Read it. He says, for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. This takes us back to Jesus when he tells the story of a man who found a field, uh, who stumbled upon a treasure that was in the field. And his treasure that he found was worth more than everything that he has. So he buried the treasure. He goes sell everything that he has in order to buy this field because what was in the field was so precious. In the same way, Paul says, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, is invaluable. Verse 9. And being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. This is so important. My perspective shifted, Paul says. I was now found in him and the righteousness that I had from from finding my identity by obeying the law. And and my own self-generated righteousness. And obeying the law is not bad. It was a good thing. But when one was looking for at their own ability to justify them rather than faith in Yahweh and God, it was bad. But one, he goes on to say, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. And this is what we call received righteousness. 
Martin Luther gives us the illustration of the ground receiving the rain. In the same way, this is a great picture for salvation. We receive an alien righteousness from outside of us, a righteousness that comes from Christ. Just like the ground receives the rain, so do we when we place our faith and trust in him. Two things happen. One, we're forgiven for our sins. But two, there's a great trans, uh, a transfer where Christ takes upon himself our sin, past, present, and future, forgives us of it. But second, he gives us his righteousness. He justifies us by faith alone. My friend, Patrick uh, Knack, he has this great quote. He says, being forgiven is great, but being righteous is even better. Being forgiven means that you're out of debt, but being righteous means you're a spiritual billionaire. That's the gospel. That not only were we forgiven, our debts paid, but Christ made a transfer into our account and we are spiritual billionaires. We are spiritually rich. We have a new identity. We can look to our mediator when we fall short and we can ask him for forgiveness and we receive the promise that we are forgiven and that the Holy Spirit is cleansing us and making us to look more like him. Let's continue. And this is all based on faith, not on works righteousness. Verse 10, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead. This transformation that Paul experienced made his goal in life very clear, and that goal was simply to know Jesus, to be intimate with him. And in knowing Jesus, he says, I'm going to experience his resurrecting power. I'm also going to identify with his death. The Christian life is full of life, death, burial, resurrection, complete. Do it again. He says, in fact, he changed my life so much that I now want to suffer like him and for him. So when I'm suffering, I don't throw a pity patty party, but rather I take time to remember what Christ did for me and how he suffered for me. And I learn to count myself as blessed. Blessed, happy are those who are persecuted. Verse 11, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect. If I made you uncomfortable today by telling you uh, that opening story, you're like, Pastor Jamal, you should be better than I. I don't know if I can hear you preach. I just want you to know um, that the Apostle Paul, as well as the apostles and, and, and those who ministered, they did not see themselves as perfect. Paul is telling his church, there's times where I miss the mark and I go back to that old identity, the things that's now in that lost category, I put back in the gain category. And, and the same is true for you. The gospel is not that Jesus comes and he saves us and all of a sudden we don't have problem and sin disappear. The gospel is, is that over time and through time that Jesus makes us look more and more like him, though we become more and more aware of our own sinfulness. That's what the Bible teaches us. And the good news is, is that Jesus is with us through it all. 
but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. So notice this work. It takes us back to what Paul tells us to work out our salvation in fear and trembling, but ultimately he says, it's God who's working within us. This is a similarly, Paul is saying this. Though I've received this gospel, part of sanctification is like an athlete who is in a a marathon and a relay race who strains for to take the baton every day. The Christian life is a a, a struggle and you have to strain. You work out your salvation in fear and trembling, but you do that with the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ who is working through you, who has taken hold of you. Somebody needs to hear that today as perhaps you're beating yourself up and you're navel gazing at everything you do wrong and you're wondering if the power, if the gospel is powerful. And your testimony should be, I may not be where I want to be, but after walking with Jesus some time, I praise God that I'm not where I used to be. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. What do you mean, Paul? Forgetting that list of self-generated righteousness. Forgetting that way of life that said, I'm proving myself to God through my zeal. Reaching forward to what is ahead, all the promises that God has for me, I pursue as my goal the prize promise by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. He says, I press on. And that's all I encourage you to do today is to press on. Press on and know that God can give you fullness and life as you receive Christ's righteousness daily, as you don't ever move beyond the gospel. The gospel, as we have said, and as it has been said, is not the ABCs of Christianity. It is the A through Zs. You will lose balance when you think that what the gospel is, is rudimentary and you move beyond it. That's why Paul says, no, in verse one, I'm telling you what I've already told you. This is the source of life. And so three application points is really quick. First, as we think about this text, the first step to living into this fullness is to admit that we have false identities we cling to. And God is inviting some of you to do the hard work of hard work to identify them, write those things down. What are the things that are in my gain column that should be in the loss column? What are the things that I am finding my identity in? When does my mood change when I don't reach this or someone doesn't respect me or compliment this aspect about me? Because whatever that is, as Paul said, to live is Christ and die is gain. And that moment when that is our focus, to live at that moment is you filling the blank. To live at that moment is having kids that obey my every command. To live at that moment is to have a paycheck that reaches this. To live at that moment is for the people in the room to see me as the smartest person. Second, the second invitation that this text gives us is to turn from our sin, to see that as sin, when we cling to that false identity, to turn from that sin and to clothe ourselves in Christ's righteousness and to believe the gospel. 
that in him we are not only accepted, but we are perfectly loved. We are loved. We are liked. We are celebrated. We are sunk over. That is the good news. It's not good advice. It's good news. Good advice says go and do this. Good news says it has already been done for you. Place your faith in Jesus. Let the gospel of grace wash over you and lead you to obedience and life in Christ. Third, is embrace a life of repentance and faith. Embrace it, applying it to that that non-Super Bowl Sunday, that non-Super Sunday. (laughs) Right? Embracing the gospel means that I... I don't get shocked when I sin and miss the mark. That I'm not surprised. I don't try to hide it. And I don't try to barter with my kids and like buy them new stuff because I failed. No, it means that I I accept the fact that I am a sinner and I need Jesus. And I repent to him and turn from that sin. And I repent to my children and show them that daddy needs Jesus too. And I allow the message of the gospel, which says that there is no condemnation to be where I find my identity, not in being a perfect dad or perfect husband. My time is up. And that's that's all I got for you is look to Jesus. Oh, look to Jesus. Oh, look to the one who came for you, lived for you, died for you, is resurrected for you, sitting on the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. Look to Jesus, the one who is both the lion and the lamb. Look to Jesus, who is your righteousness, your eldest brother, your Lord, your Savior, the first and the last. Look to Jesus, the one who is coming back again to save you not only from the power of sin, but the presence of sin. Look to Jesus who said, I have made you whole in me. Set your mind on the things that are above and not the things of the earth. Hear my father say, you are my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. Beg him to help you to believe that today and wake up tomorrow and beg him to help you to believe that tomorrow so that when you are in the presence of those who are boastful about the things of this world which will pass away, you can take a deep breath and say, Jesus has done it all. All to him I owe. My sin had left a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow. He is my joy. He is my peace. He is my righteousness. And every Sunday we celebrate this message by taking a meal called communion. We normally break bread and drink wine or juice. But today we're going to do it differently. We're going to take this cup. It's in front of you. If you're a Christian, we invite you to to take this and to remember Jesus, your righteousness. What makes you right is not that other person's approval. What makes you right is not how much money you have saved. 
What makes you right is not that you work your fingers to the bone. What makes you right is not how you look, what you weigh, your your friend group. What makes you right is what you believe and who you believe in, which is Jesus. We take bread, and you can take it now. We eat it, reminding him us of his perfect sacrifice, and we drink wine or juice. The wine is marked by tw- it's not. The wine is in his cup. What makes you right is not getting the communion script together, and we drink it, remembering that his blood makes us whole. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.